Good morning. Let's, uh, let's keep going. It gets real silent. It gets real quiet. Let's, uh, let's get going this morning and uh, let, let's, let's open with prayer. Our Father, we thank you for we thank you for your kindness to us that you continue to show us with uh, each breath we take that you have shown us the gift of your Son. And Lord, we thank you for your word that in which we learn of you. Lord, I pray that as we look at this letter from Paul to this church in Colossae, that we would uh, read it as if we were reading it for today. And then we might be, Lord, convinced and convicted of the sufficiency, the supremacy of your Son, Jesus Christ, for all things in both uh, our understanding and in our practice of life. Lord, I thank you for this day in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning again. This is uh, the continuing class in the letter to the Colossians. Paul's letter to the little church in the Lycos Valley, which is also to be given to the church in Laodicea and also in a small town called Heropolis. It was uh, in, uh, what would that be? That would be uh, or up in the country of Greece. Anyway, our, this is week six. We've looked at uh, verses up to now, verses of chapter two, verse five was last week where we ended off. And what we're seeing is the message in Colossians is twofold, is what I want to pull out of it. I want us as we look at the book, I want us to look at it through the lens of that the truth of the premise of Jesus Christ in all things should be proclaimed by God's people to all nations or at all times. And also as we go through, we want to look at the truth of the preeminence of Jesus Christ in all things must be practiced by God's people in all things or in all ways. In other words, how does the preeminence of Jesus Christ, how does it affect the way we live and what we preach and what we proclaim, what we tell people by both our lives and our words, right? The preeminence of Jesus Christ. That handout is on the back table if you would like one as a short outline of the book. I've actually uh, probably revised it a little bit. I'll, I'll get a new one next week. I've kind of added in verses 2 through 6. I broke off and stuck in the middle. I, I, today we looked at it, but we said it's being a, a hinge for this whole book. But anyway, it's, a, it's just a way to get your, uh, your head around the book, put it into one place, put it in one flow, and, and, to, and to help you just see what, what Paul's saying. But you can't read it from back there, so grab the handout. Paul was fighting air in Colossae. People were coming in and saying, we know something better. We know something more. We, there is something more wisdom. There is more knowledge. There is a better mystery. And Paul says, no, you've got it all. You have it all in Jesus Christ. So as we look at the book, the question we should be asking ourselves is, how should we guard against error? How are we answer rightly for our faith? And how would we have rightly in Dallas, Texas? Okay, They were trying to understand how to live rightly, how to understand things in Colossae. For us, it's how do we live rightly in Dallas, Texas. The message, and that, yes, I changed it. I've been saying verse 11 of chap, verse 17 of chapter 3 the entire time, but it's typo. It should have been chapter, or verse 11 of chapter 3. Christ is all and in all. He is the sufficient one. And we'll see that again today. Short outline. We looked at Paul's prayer or praise and thanks. 
He had a prayer to the Lord, a petition for the Colossians. He made a statement as to preeminence of the person of Jesus Christ. Verses 20-23 of chapter 1 dealt with the preeminence, sufficiency of the work of Jesus Christ. And last week, we looked at Paul's struggle. He says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you. In other words, you need to know about my suffering for you. I suffered for the gospel and I struggled for the church. That's what Paul says his mission was because he was convinced of the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that he wanted to take that message to all nations, to all the peoples in Colossae, in Laodicea, in Heropolis, and he, was, and he struggled for that. He suffered for that. So we come today, week six, Paul gets to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter, and we see about our fullness, our completeness in Jesus Christ. The point of the fact, we looked at verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2. The point of fact, the heart of the matter, what, it sh- what this truth should mean to us. Then we'll look at the, the last bit of this paragraph, verses 8 through 15. The scope of the matter, the scope of the cross, that, it, that everything is filled, we are filled, and everything is final in Jesus Christ. Okay? Let me go ahead and just read that whole, let me go and read all those verses together, and then we'll come back to verses 6 and 7. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Stop. That, that's it, okay? Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, the Supreme One, the image of God, walk in Him. But Paul doesn't just leave it at walking him. Now he's going to lay it out. Here's how we do that. Do it rooted and built up in him. Established in faith, just as you were taught, and abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. (laughs) Made without hands. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, me, who are dead in my trespasses and in the uncircumcision of my flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. And He put them to open shame. And He triumphed over them in Him, or perhaps in it, in the cross. In today's text, we'll look at two imperatives, two commands. Okay, Up till now, it's been a letter of indicatives, a letter's verbs of, of statement, right? Uh, let's look at a few. You can kind of look through. Paul is saying, uh, from the day we heard, we've prayed. We've prayed that you would be filled. Uh, 
walk in a manner of the Lord, be pleasing to him, bear fruit. These are simple things that Paul prayed. Okay, It was a letter of simple verbs. Now he comes to the exhortation. Today we get to the heart of the matter. Therefore, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So walk in him. When the Colossians had heard of Christ, excuse me, excuse me, when the Colossians had heard of Christ from Epaphras, they had started out well. Okay? They started to falter. Now they come to this. I see this verse as being a hinge. This is the hinge from what was before and what's going to come after in this letter. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, this first clause you think about it, really summarizes the whole first half of what came before, right? Christ Jesus the Lord. Okay? That's who he was. He was a print one. He was the image of God. He's the first one over all creation. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth. You've been reconciled in him. You received this Jesus. Okay? Now, walk in him. That's the command. That's the imperative. And that's what's going to flow from the rest of it. Okay? That is what will flow. That's what we're going to see. How we walk in Him. It summarizes all that will follow. What's the basis of this command from Paul? What's the basis? The Colossians had already received Christ. Received. Now, what's interesting is, he says, not if you believed in Christ, not as you known of Christ, but he says, as you've believed or as you have received Christ. In other words, for all Christ is, for all who he is, you've received him. In the New Testament, Paul talks about receiving the gospel. Uh, In Galatians, in Philippians, he talks about receiving the teaching that I gave you. In 1 Thessalonians, he talks about receiving the word of God. Okay, In 2 Thessalonians, he says, you receive the tradition that was handed down to you. Okay, all these are, let's say, written instructions or 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 things. But this is unique. Paul says you received the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, not merely believing, but you received him as you made a commitment to who he was, what he claimed, what was taught about him. You received it. You took it into yourself. Okay? He's not talking about just a mere mental knowing or assent, but you received it in your whole being. When they heard of Christ from Epaphras, they received, they embraced Jesus Christ for all He was. Okay? All He was. And what was that? They received who? Christ Jesus the Lord. Okay? What's interesting, what we don't see is, and again, it's, our Bibles are wonderful, but one thing you see in, in the original text was this word, the, there's also an article in front of Christ. It would be very awkward in English, but just as you receive the Christ, Jesus, the Lord, you understand what he's he is? He is making an argument against those teachers. He's saying, you received the Christ, the Savior, the coming one, the Messiah, Jesus, the man, who 
who came in human flesh, who took on our form, right? The Lord, who was God. He, he, he makes an argument against everything that the false teachers have been teaching in that one statement. And so having received him, having embraced Christ Jesus, what does he say? What does he say? What's the idiom? It's right there. What? Walk in him. I think we, that is, I think it's an idiom that's really become part of our language. We say it without thinking a whole lot. It's, uh, it, but it's a, it's a beautiful, it's, it's a beautiful picture. You know, you talk about a little boy that walks behind his dad. He begins to look a lot of little boys. They actually walk like their dads, right? They kind of, same gait. And you'll see a, I, I had that one story about my, my dad when they, they talked about his father. When he got older, all of a sudden they realized they hadn't seen my dad for a number of years. And they saw him walking and said, he walks just like his dad. Just his gait, his carriage. Well, he started imitating that even as a little boy. Not always, but as a general, we begin to walk like each other, right? Walk. Verse 123 says, you are reconciled him. We are reconciled in Christ. If indeed you continue in the faith. Okay? Our walk is the manner in which we live and carry out our life. Okay? It's the prayer for the Colossians in verse 10 of chapter 1. What does Paul say? And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking you to be filled with the knowledge of His will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Okay? Paul's already praying this for him. He says, you receive Christ Jesus... I'm praying for you. Now walk. Walk in a manner that's worthy of Him. Um, Isaiah says this in chapter 2. O house of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isn't that a pretty picture? Let's walk under His illumination, what He's given us in His Word. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says this. We walk by faith, not by faith. Right? Just as you received Christ Jesus by Lord, faith, so walk in Him by faith. Right? We are to, uh, that's 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we are to walk by faith, not by sight. Right? Salvation received by faith, we walk by faith. Ephesians 4, 1, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Worthy of the one who called you. Right? In counter, what does Psalms 1-1 say, right? Do not walk what? In the counsel of the wicked. Okay? So we don't want to, there's some ways we don't want to walk, right? With the wicked, in the counsel of the wicked. We are to walk in the manner of the Lord. So how are we to walk in Him? How are we to walk in Him? How are we to carry out this verb emotion? Well, we're to do it with four metaphors. We're to do it being rooted in Christ, built up in Christ, established in the faith of Christ, and we're to do it in a manner of abounding thanksgiving and abounding praise. You know, rooted, uh, I like that word, it's, 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 a, it's a word, it's a, it's a verb, it's an action word in the perfect tense. In other words, something that was completed, boom, with continuing effects. You walk rooted in Christ Jesus the Lord. It's happened. You're rooted. But that root should have continuing effects. 
Okay, it's the same word for. Uh, it comes out. We, we get the word also rhizome. You know, under the ground, you're rooted. You're rooted solidly in the soil. It it's rooted in soil. It gains strength, stability, nourishment in Christ Jesus. Right, a man who trusts in the Lord. It's like a tree planted by water who sends out its roots and it does not fear the heat. Jeremiah 17.8. Ephesians 3.17. Christ dwells in our hearts being rooted and grounded in love causes us to live in a certain way. Okay, Christ in our hearts, we are rooted and grounded in His love. Now it's interesting, going from the metaphor of rooted, He says, and built up in Him. Okay? It's a continuous thing. In other words, you're rooted, it has continuing effects, and the continuing effects are to be built up in Him. To be built up in something already built. Who's the cornerstone? Who's the foundation? Christ. Christ. Apostles. We're built upon top of that in the same way with our life. We are built upon the stone that is already laid. I like it. It's a construction metaphor. Okay? It's that building that continues to progress. Put the foundation down and it continues on. Hear the words of the Lord. Hear Christ's words effectively. It's like a man who is built upon... To to hear His words is to be like a man who is built upon the rock. Matthew 7, 24. Jesus said, He who hears my words is like a man who builds his house upon a rock and doesn't get washed away. Same picture here. I do love that picture of, of that sense of being rooted, being perfect. It's happened with a continuing effect. But then the exhortation to be built up that it's a continuous, ongoing thing right now. Okay, That's the picture. Now, rooted in Him, built up in Him, established in the faith. We are to be firm. We are to be solid, solidly grounded in the faith of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.58 Be steadfast and immovable. Right? Same picture. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says that God established... Go to 1 2 Corinthians 1.21. Let's go to that real quick. Okay, the exhortation here we're saying is to be, is to be established in the faith. Go to, uh, go to 2 Corinthians 1.21. I want to bring out something here. Another aspect of these verbs is they're passive. Okay, it's actions being done to us. Yet it comes from an imperative to act, right? Walk in a manner, having these things done to you. Okay? First Corinthians, what did I say? 121? Gosh, hope. Second Corinthians, thank you. That's, that was not making sense. Someone have it? Someone to read 121. He establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us his God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in your heart, in our hearts, as a guarantee. That's right. He who has us, right there, 121. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. Okay? Walk in a manner worthy of him. Right? Walk in Him, being rooted, being built up, and being established. We are to be established, but God is the one who establishes. He is the one who acts. 
First uh, Peter five ten says this: "The God of all grace will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you." That's what First Peter says. Note, rooted, built up, and established. Says they're all passive. Okay, God roots us; He builds us up. He confirms us. He strengthens us. Okay, He establishes us. Our walking in Him comes from what God has done in us. Okay? Our walking comes from Him. It is not of our own strength. If it is of our own strength, where are we going to end up? We're not going to get real far. Right? If you're not moving, you're probably going to be sliding back. Okay? You're not, you're not going to be walking at the point. And how is our walking to be done? How is our walking to be done? In what manner? What is it? Abounding in thanksgiving. Giving thanks. This is to be our heart response. Okay? This is to be the heart response to this rooting, to this being built up, to our being established. We should be known as a people abounding and overflowing with thanksgiving. Are we grumblers? Are we complainers? Are we moaners? I could use a different adjective about myself. Charles would agree. <laughs> or are we abounding in thanksgiving in all things that come? Colossians 1, 12-13. Paul just said it, right? For our boast is this, our testimony. We behave in the manner of the world. That's wrong. That's like, that's not the worst. Colossians 1, verses 12-13. Verse 12, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. Giving thanks to the Father. Colossians 3.17. Let's go there real quick. I think that this is what should summarize our, uh, our life as believers. Okay, we're going to be here in a few weeks, but Paul's just kind of giving a whole exhortation on how to live. And then he says this in verse 17, chapter 3. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. How? Giving thanks. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Okay? 1 Corinthians 10.31 said it this way, right? Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, what? Do it all. Pardon? Do it unto Him. Do it all for His glory. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we don't do things in the name of the King of the universe who created all things. We don't do it in a grudging, moaning, complaining, whining, downcast face manner. We are servants of the King. And that should cause us to endure all hardships endure, and enjoy great things in this country, guys. Okay? But we should do it joyfully. We could say that a measure of how we're walking in Him how well we're doing Thanksgiving. That's right. A measure in how well we are walking in Him of fruit that we can judge okay, ourselves and others, quite frankly, is by what is coming out of the heart. Right? Right? 
It's not what goes into the heart that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of the heart. In the same way, it's what comes out of the heart that tells us what's really there. You know, I heard it this way. What happens when you're bumped? Right? Well, depends on the beginning or the end of the day, right? But what, ha- what comes out of us when we're bumped? How do we respond to things? Do you abound in thanksgiving in every circumstance? Is your, is your life a sweet aroma? An offering, a sacrifice of praise, it says in Hebrews. We are to continually offer a sacrifice of praise. And you don't do that grudgingly. Okay? Now, let's go from there. See to it that no one takes you captive, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Uh, ESV says, see to it. King James says, beware. Uh, NIV, who's got NIV? What does it say? Like, be careful? Pardon? See to it. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're right. See to it. What do we say in Texas? Y'all keep a sharp lookout. Okay? Y'all keep a sharp lookout. Take heed. This is a warning we must all heed. Okay? Think of Israel. And I didn't jot down the reference here, but it says, Lord warned them. It says, Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And what did they do? They forgot the Lord that came back here, right? They forgot. So it, it's a real warning. Okay? I mean, I mean, this is the God that brought ten plagues, right? Split the Jordan. There was a stack of rocks down there as long as they were there that told the story of them crossing to the, 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 the Jordan. But they forgot. They forgot what the Lord did. And where's Paul saying, hey, be careful. Take heed. Lest, something, lest you forget, lest someone takes you captive. Um, think of the um, the word captive there is like spoils of war. In other words, don't let someone carry you off as booty. Don't be someone. Don't, don't let someone pillage you. Okay, that that word was it, it was it was a war word. Okay, and Paul says, don't become that booty. Don't become what is pillaged. Don't become the spoils of war. Think of the uh, Ephesian elders. She says, and from among you will come those who who teach falsely. So it's a real warning. What did Paul warn the Colossians not to be taken captive by? Philosophy and empty deception. Philosophy deceives people, but the gospel is true. Philosophy is empty. Devoid of spiritual value. The gospel is powerful and it transforms. Philosophy is man's reasoning. Okay? Philosophy is man's reasoning. And Paul says, that's empty. That's devoid of anything worthwhile as far as eternal value. The source of philosophy? According to human tradition. Okay? Okay? Nothing wrong with tradition in and of itself. 
we just looked at Paul said, you know, don't, don't forget the tradition that was handed down to you. There's nothing wrong with tradition itself, but it's human tradition that would supplant, or in this case, you need more human tradition to move beyond Christ, is what the teachers were teaching. You need something more. And, and we've got it here. We've got it here. It could have been Jewish tradition. could have been Jewish feasts, festivals, right? You've got to do certain things, right, to, to, to move on. According to the elemental spirits, elemental spirits of this world, not according to Christ. You know, elemental spirits, could, people talk about it could, it could be speaking of demons, it could be satanic. It could also be just, just the elemental things of this world. What were, the, what were the four elements of the Greek world? Earth, wind, fire, and water. Well, also, all those had gods attached to them also. But Paul's saying that, you know, if that's your basis of your philosophy, it's, it's, it's worthless. Okay? That's not where our philosophy should come from. Where should our philosophy come from? Positive statement. Our, our philosophy should come from Christ. Christ must be the source of our philosophy. Okay? What, what philosophy of the world, what philosophy pervades the world right now? Health and wealth philosophy. I would say that's that's empty. That's and that's people maybe even hiding it under Christ, right? Empty deceit, right? There's nothing in it. I, I tell you what I was thinking of. I was thinking of Darwinism or evolution. I don't want to put the boogeyman out there, but but that rude philosophy pervades everything. You, you're just another monkey. You just came from nothing. You're you're a lucky cell. And so it governs the way much of what the world does. I mean, it, it's. I mean, our postmodern thought where there's no real truth, all truth is relative. That comes out of there not being a, an ultimate truth, not being created in God's image, not being a word of God. Okay, it pervades everything. You know, you watch commercials. You listen to the music, really think about it. it, it that philosophy of being an Indian pervades everything. Another thing that the elements of the elemental spirits can be is uh, is a verse on uh, lust of the lust of the flesh, pride of life, um, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Three, what the, the the great sins? I'm I'm pulling a blank on it too, Stan. But but essentially, these are the elemental forces of the world, whatever they are, versus Christ. So what Paul's saying, whether it's human, or it's of this world, or it's of the other world against Christ, the demonic. If it's any of those, if it's not according to Christ, that's not what you should be captive by. Who should captivate us? Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Why should it captivate us? Why? For in Him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him. The sufficiency of Christ is to be our philosophy. He is the wonderful, or this, this right here, He is the wonderful one. Think, this is a wonderful passage for the believer. First, Paul restates the truth of the incarnation. He goes back to verses 15 through 20. And this Christ, 
This one, this one who is God, he dwells in you. To be settled down in you. He resides. Okay? Now, eternally, forever. He, re- he dwells in you now. Okay? Ongoing. Not then and then quit. No. Every moment of time, every point in time, he dwells in you. What would this argue against today, just from a very false religious standpoint? The, 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 the deity of Christ dwells in Christ bodily continuously. Okay, that's what I'm saying. The, the deity dwells continuously in Christ. Well, we, we've got some guys out there that, that claim the name of Christ. Okay? A guy named T.D. Jakes. One is Pentecostals. Modalist. Okay? God is one, but he exists as God the Spirit. Sometimes he exists as God the Son, and sometimes he exists as the Spirit within us. But there's different modes of God. There's not the Trinity we believe in. It's arguing against Trinity, right? I'm pulling blank. Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Okay, they're three. So, so we love a lot of their music, right? They're modalists. They they believe. So this right here would argue against some of the false sects of Christianity today. Okay, the deity dwells continuously in Jesus Christ. And how does he dwell? He dwells bodily and fully. Okay? I mean, that Paul is making an argument. What's the verse? When Jesus was baptized in John, right? Jesus was baptized. The Father said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit came upon him. Right? Same thing. The deity of Jesus Christ, the deity, dwells in that person continuously. Now, the fullness has been imparted to us. That's a great thing. Think about this. The fullness of God filled Christ. Or, not complete, but there's a fullness, there's completeness. And that fullness has what? Filled us or completed us. Okay? We are complete in Jesus Christ. You know, when, when Adam fell, you could say he became incomplete. Right? He was incomplete spiritually. He was out of fellowship with God. He was incomplete morally. He was outside of God's will and his actions. He was out of he he was incomplete mentally, his thoughts. He didn't know the truth. He couldn't even tell God the truth. He couldn't even speak the truth back to him correctly when God asked a simple question about why he sinned. All right? And he's incomplete physically. Right? My, my, my body's not what it was when I was your age. Okay? And some of y'all's bodies, like, even further on down the road. Right? I mean, we are decaying, folks. Right? We are, we are not complete. We're not whole. In Christ, we are complete. Let me say it this way. In Christ, we are complete. We're being made complete. And we will be complete when we stand in His presence. So this is a sense that in different, we are complete now in Christ, spiritually. We, we We stand not condemned. But there's a sense we're being completed in Him, we're being conformed to Christ's likeness. And there'll come a day when we stand in His presence and we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. And our bodies 
will also be complete because we will have a physical body just like he does, just like the body that the deity dwells fully in completely. Okay, Christ is our, he's the one that we are after. He, he, is, he is in the image of God and he is the one who we will be like. And he's overall rule and authority. Let's just, just make that statement, right? Verses uh, 15 through 20, right? He created all things. He created all rulers and dominions, authorities. If he created them, you know what? He's the head of them. He's over them. We don't have to be fearful of them. So in Christ, we are complete. In Christ, he is sufficient for all things. We'll cut it off there today. We'll, we'll, we'll look at how we're fully saved or completely saved in Christ next week. We're up against the clock. Any, any comments, Mark? You had a hand up there earlier? Yeah, I had my hand up because you know, I was thinking of postmodernism. You, you touched on the idea of being that everybody has a myth. That your myth, my myth, everybody, everybody has truth, right? Truth, what I make of it? That's, it's actually a myth. Only truth is found in Jesus Christ. Joe? Yeah, just an observation about the chapter today. You know, the, Paul, Paul writes about the philosophy of men and spends half a verse on that in verse 8. Yep. And then spends the next nine verses focusing on Christ. I and mean, just in terms of volume, you know, we tend to know a lot about the world. That's right. I would self-convicting to, to think of are my, uh, are my discussions, are my thoughts, are my learnings more have to do with this world than of Christ. Sure. Yeah, and we play golf for four and a half hours, Joe. How much of Christ of that time do we spend all time, quite frankly, right? You know, I mean, you know, n- not bad things, you know, but... We know this earth and this world and... That's right. Paul doesn't spend a lot of time. He just says it's there, and then he can go right to the things of Christ. We we hear how important it is to be culturally relevant. Well, I mean, Paul was aware it went on the culture. He didn't spend a lot of detail detailing out the falsehoods and answering them point counterpoint. He says this is wrong, and he presents Jesus Christ. Right? Gets back to the thing. Know the truth, you know, and you'll be able to sort through all the counterfeit. That's where he spends preponderance of his time in the truth and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. At the same time, that's why we don't want to fill up our minds and our thoughts with things of this world. Um, as a little aside, I, 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 spent, I spent a day and a half with my radio station on a radio station I know that tends to be the younger generation listens to. Guys, this is just... Man, if that's what's going in your mind all day... There ain't no room for Christ, you know? The songs, the content. You watch TV, watch commercials, everything's about what? You deserve it. Buy this because you deserve it, right? If that's what you fill up your mind with, you're gonna, there, there's not going to be a lot of room left for Christ. So the point being is be like Paul. Spend, be aware of the culture. But don't let it consume you. Don't continually put it into your mind. You need to blank yourself off from it, but put Christ into you. 
Put Christ into you. Fill up your mind with Christ. And, and work hard at keeping the things out of your mind, out of your life, that would f- take away that fullness that, you be, that comes through Him. Right? Let, let's pray. Our Father, we thank You so much for the gift of Your Son, Jesus Christ, who we are complete in. Lord, we thank You for the completeness of Your work. We thank you for the sufficiency of your work on the cross. Lord, we no longer need a priest to sacrifice daily for you sacrificed once for all. Lord, you took our cross. You took our uh, writ of indebtedness and you nailed it to the cross. And it is no more. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that uh, fill up our minds with the things of you. Lord, that we, we seek to fill up, to be complete in You. And that we look to find all of our sufficiency in You. Lord, I pray Your blessing upon us uh, the rest of the day. I pray for Bob as he teaches. Lord, I pray for us this week that we might uh, live joyfully and abounding in thanksgiving so that the world will see in us, Lord, an image of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, it is in Jesus Christ's name I pray in the power of His Spirit. Amen.